Here I am, only a year and a half later, giving you another seven James Bond podcasts that you might not know about and are definitely worth your time and attention. So let's check them out. Let's start with number one, Bond Jam, a lighthearted James Bond podcast that sees old friends James Turner and Simon Jeffrey delve into the world of 007 to explore some funny and interesting topics. James and Simon offer a professional-sounding podcast, professional-sounding podcast, professional-sounding, professional-sounding, professional-sounding podcast. I've just woken up from a nap, James. It's going to be really hard to summon the energy for this, but I'll try, goddammit. Now come along and listen to us talk with the Bon Jam. Go and have a lovely little walk with the Bon Jam. Let me put it on and go to bed with the Bon Jam. Or grab yourself a slice of toast and spread with the Bon Jam. Hello, this is Simon Jeffrey, and before we start, I'd just like to say a huge thank you to Being James Bond and Joe Darlington for including Bond Jam in his video, Another Seven James Bond Podcasts You Might Not Know Yet. Uh, James and I were thrilled to be mentioned alongside such great company. Uh, We'll probably be recording these podcasts anyway, but it's so nice to know that there are listeners out there and that you took the time and trouble to listen. We're glad that you enjoyed what you heard, and for taking the trouble to give us the shout-out that you did. So now we'll get back to the episode that was recorded uh, a week or so ago, before we knew we had listeners, and we hope you enjoy this one too. Hello and welcome to Bond Jam with me, Simon Jeffrey, and I'm joined by the Ruby Bartlett to my Tracy Bond. It's Mr. James Turner. That was a good comparison, to be honest. And well, we'll get on to Ruby uh, in this episode. But uh, but yeah, hi, to, n- n- nice to see you. Oh, nice to see you, Simon. Nice to see you, Simon. Nice to see you too, James. She's from your neck of the woods, isn't she? Mm. Comparatively, compared to where I am in the world. <laughs> I mean, I know you're not in uh, you're not in Lancashire, are you? But uh, no, but it's got a sh at the end of it, so it makes would, sense. Well, so so does Bedfordshire, where I am, uh, but. Yeah. Good start, James. <laughs> Some sharp observations straight away. <laughs> yes, today we are talking about On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Uh, this film came out in 1969 after Sean Connery stepped down from the role. Personal favourite of mine for many years. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I've told this story before, but it was one of the very first films I saw. And actually, I didn't even know it was a Bond film at the time, or I, I wasn't familiar with Bond. But it's probably a good way of watching it, to be fair. Well, my parents showed me uh, showed me it on a VHS that they recorded off the TV, and it was uh, on the same tape as a film called Where Eagles Dare, which is a cracking little war film with Richard Burton and Clint Eastwood. And for some reason, every time I watch On Her Majesty's Secret Service, I'm just reminded of Where Eagles Dare now. Hmm. Um, <laughs> just they sort of uh, they're. they're inextricably linked together for all eternity um which is no bad thing they're both great films but it's just whatever opinion i might discuss in this podcast i think it's fair to say that it's rooted in a very particular nostalgia and personal opinion of mine um just from where i was first introduced to it uh do you have any similar story james my opinion on it has kind of been rooted in the same way that um the general public see on Majesty's Secret Service, and that is when I grew up with it. It was always considered, oh, it's the guy who did one Bond film, so this is bound to be the worst one. Um, and then as time has gone on, I've grown to appreciate it more. 
much in the same way as the general human population. I'm glad you specified humans there, James. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, that that's the what, what matters, isn't it? Um, <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> but I do find that as good as the film can be at times, I do think it has quite a few flaws that really bug me. I think the public reception of the film at the time was lukewarm, to say the least. And I think part of that was because... Um, they just weren't ready to see someone else play the part yet. And I'm in some ways, I don't think the film does itself a great amount of favours. There's this kind of conflict going on with what the film is trying to do. And on the one hand, it's trying to distance itself. And it works very well, I think, as a standalone Bond film. And I think it, it almost feels like it comes out of some parallel universe where it's the only Bond film that ever existed. Yeah. And on that level, it works perfectly well. But on the other hand, it spends a significant part of the early part of the film desperately trying to convince you that it is the James Bond that you know and love. Yeah, yeah. And I think the film is far more successful when it's not trying to do that. And we discuss it on our Codename episode, and I do still firmly believe that this is the same Bond in the same timeline and the same universe. All the Codename theories were spawned from this film and a lot of the evidence against it also comes back to this film but i do still think that this film is possibly still best viewed on its own terms in isolation perhaps from the very beginning there's the line about this never happened to the other fella which kicked off all of those theories and while i know why they did it i wish they hadn't but even beyond that there's reminders through the title sequence of bond's previous missions as if to say you know this is bond you know stick with us please please don't leave and that's through the entire title sequence as well yeah i could do without all that stuff but i understand why they did it and it does seem like they were pretty nervous about doing a bond film without connery and they were desperate to reassure the audience that uh that it was still bond and there are lines in the film like you know when bond talks to Moneypenny, she's like same old james yeah, That's their yeah. first line, pretty much. But I do get the sense that the producers are a little defensive and a little bit desperate to, to try and convince you of something that they actually needn't have worried too much about. Uh, but before we get too far into dissecting this film any further, James, I'd just like to um, continue the tradition that I like to do on these episodes. Could you tell me, in your own words, what the plot of this film is? Okay, uh, Bond is having no luck tracking down Blofeld. He's trying to find him, but can't find him. And then he meets this uh, this lady called uh, Tracy, and uh, he rescues her from. She's just she just wants to uh, to end her life. She doesn't care about her life. And then after meeting her, uh, he meets this ridiculously nice mafia boss who then says that um, I've heard what you've been doing for my daughter. I'll give you a million pounds if you uh, if you marry her. And Bond's like, oh, no, I don't want to do that. I can't do that. Um, then the mafia boss goes, well, I can tell you where Blofeld is instead if you want. And Bond's like, yeah, okay then. So that then makes Bond track down Blofeld to this Swiss alpine resort called Piz Gloria. And um, he has to pretend to be someone called Sir Hilary Bray because Blofeld wants to become a count for some reason. I don't know. Maybe he's a fan of Sesame Street or something. I don't know why he wants to be a count, but that's what he wants to do. 
Bond discovers that Blofeld's plan is to uh, to unleash a virus using these women that are in this Pisglovia location. And then Bond foils the plan and, uh, and marries Tracy, only for her to die at the end by Blofeld. And that's the story. Eloquently put, James. Well done. <laughs> there is a slight odd sense of um, Tracy's father and Bond having this deal that revolves around her, you know, marry her and I'll pay you for it and, and all that stuff. But, you know, in the end, obviously, he doesn't accept his money. So it seems to be a genuine love that blossoms. So how would you like to approach this, James? You want to go in from the beginning? Okay, so he meets Tracy. Um, to be honest, I was quite surprised. It starts off with Q and M. I completely forgot. Well, it's sort of such a non-sector of a scene, like radioactive lint. Like, who, yeah. who cares? <laughs> You can trace this fluff in someone's pocket. (laughs) It's just so they can get that line in about what I want is a trace on 007. And it does set up an interesting idea that no one has any idea where he is. Yeah. And then it cuts to Bond driving along near the beach where he spots Tracy. I think she is instantly intriguing as a character. Yeah. And it's clear that... uh, that she's not well. Yeah. She's not mentally healthy. And what I thought was good and what I'm eternally grateful for is that, for the most part, Bond doesn't take advantage of her and, and treads reasonably carefully and seems to actually care. And he doesn't want her money. You know, he says, you don't owe me a thing you know, when he helps her out in the casino. Soon goes back on that, though. Yeah, I mean, he obviously, in the spirit of Bond and in the spirit of the 60s, you know, I'd say that he is reasonably caring and doesn't exploit her too much, you know, because she just doesn't care. That's why she bets on games she can't afford to lose. And that's intriguing, and I think she plays it really well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The open sequence with her is, is really good, and I like how that relationship develops throughout the film. What do you think of the, um, the the fight on the beach? Yeah, I think it's uh, the way that's edited and put together. It has a more frantic style to uh, to the sequence rather than what we've seen in the past. And um, I think it's a great way of introducing George Lazenby. Those fight sequences throughout the film are very fast-paced and essentially it's kind of a bit ahead of its time. Yeah, I think whether you like the style or not, I think it was pretty cutting edge uh you know for the, for the speed that it's edited at and the the jumpiness of it um it's not nearly as choppy as i remembered it being i thought it was kind of jump cuts all over the place and then we get the uh, the title sequence the first instrumental title sequence since from rush with love mm. and it's an absolute killer tune isn't it james yeah it's uh as far as replacements for the james bond theme go that's as good as it gets this film has got one of the best scores of the series i think yeah um it's got some great sort of 60s synthesizer sounds in there There there's some sort of slightly odd choices musically speaking like when bond is captured by draco's uh henchman and they show him his gun pointing at him and instead of like tense music yeah Instead of like, oh, what's going to happen? It's just this kind of like, boom, 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 boom. <laughs> it's like, we're going on a journey now. 
it's kind of oddly lacking in threat, but it's it's charming and, and I like it. Mr. Bond, yeah, you've lost something, really. We'll give it to you outside. And then we meet Draco, who's always always ranked pretty high up my list of allies. Yeah, I think he's really charismatic and he's really likable. But the fact that he thinks he's the biggest crime lord ever, and then Bonds corrects him and says, oh, "Actually, no, Spectre is your, you know, your your second. So this is a bad guy. This is a he should be a Bond villain. Yeah, I picture him like the kind of uh, avuncular Godfather. And then Bond is more than happy to just you know, spend time on days out with him at, at bullfights and doing all sorts of stuff and going in car rides with the mafia boss. But yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah, it is what it is. Why not? <laughs> as as far as allies go, he's, he's one of my favourites. Uh, that scene has one of my favourite shots where uh, Bond throws the knife into the calendar, and he slowly turns around to see it, squints at it, puts his glasses on. Yeah. And then takes them off again and turns back to Bond. And the focus pull is just spot yeah. on. As his glasses go on, <laughs> the calendar comes into focus. And then he yeah. takes them off again and the focus goes back. I just think... No, it is good. Technically, that's a brilliant shot. It's such a yeah. simple one. And, and I just think if I had to accomplish that myself, I, I'd be chuffed with myself if I did it right. Yeah. You know, I've operated cameras and I always forget which way the focus turns. So I'm always yeah. impressed when someone does a, a spot on focus pull. <laughs> uh, it is some people's actual job just to do the. the, the yeah, of course. Pull. And they did a good job. So hats off yeah. to the focus puller on, on a Majesty's <laughs> Secret Service. Um, you're almost certainly not still alive. <laughs> so, yeah, I like the. Um, I like the, the, the repartee between them. Uh, the. The teasing of information. Uh, it's, it does finish on a slightly odd line where he says, like, let's say I'll sleep on the idea. And he's like, you do that. The idea being his daughter. So <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't make weird jokes about that. Like, mind you, he already knows all, you know, yeah, everything. Yeah, he, he knows about that. Don't worry about that. Don't worry. Don't worry about that. <laughs> it's moments like that that make me realize that George Lazenby's Bond portrayal is not Connery's Bond portrayal. And Mm. that often means that he doesn't get reviewed favorably compared to Connery or any of the other actors a lot of the time. Because it feels like he's not playing the part the same way. And I think Lazenby is pretty solid. I don't think he's perfect. He wavers every now and then. But I don't think this is a film that Connery could have done. No. No, it's definitely not. Lazenby often has a sort of deer caught in the headlights kind of look about him, where he looks a little unsure of stuff going on around him. Yeah. And I can see why some people would say, you know, that's not a strong portrayal because Bond should be confident and Bond should be the smartest guy in the room or whatever. And maybe he should, but I don't dislike the portrayal because of that. I actually think that it endears me to him a little bit more because I don't feel like he's quite, he's not playing it quite the same as Connery. And and Lazenby sort of flits between being, you know, slightly out of his depth and clutching at straws every now and then. And there's a lovely moment later on, which is one of my favorite moments where he's escaped from Pitt's Gloria and he's trying to hide in the crowd. And then Tracy arrives and it's the first time we've seen Tracy for half an hour or more. And she says, you know, what's wrong? And he just 
really simply and really meekly says, there's people after me. And he just seems scared. (laughs) And she just comes to his rescue and completely takes charge, leads him to her car and, you know, and disguises him. And, you know, whether or not you think that's Bond or not, it warms me to him, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, in a way that he's not the confident, invulnerable Connery. That would yeah. probably just... I mean, Connery had scenes where he was running through a crowd away from Fiona Volpe and stuff. Yeah, yeah. But I never got the sense that he'd be in any trouble if, if any one of them caught him. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Uh, and I do like that sequence. But you do fear for him at that point. Uh, mm. And I think that is due to the vulnerability that George Lazenby portrays. I think that's one of the best aspects of his portrayal. I think there are moments, and quite a few moments, where he comes off a little smug on the flip side of that, where when he delivers certain, you know, know-it-all, more typically Bond lines about expert knowledge on subjects he couldn't possibly know, he comes off a little bit smug and irritating, like, yeah. unusually small for a nymphalis polychlorus. <laughs> it's like, oh, shut up. He's got this kind of, like, <laughs> grin on his face that just makes you want to punch him. <laughs> uh, I certainly think he's most effective in the scenes where he's just not playing it tough, but mm. playing it kind of sensitive, like when he's saying how he's he thinks Tracy's in some sort of trouble. And that's why I say I can't really imagine Sean Connery doing it, because I don't think he had that side to his portrayal. I don't think he had the, the softness of touch. You could almost imagine Roger Moore doing this film more than you could imagine Connery doing yeah, it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Tracy... I was always taught that mistakes should be remedied, especially between friends. Or lovers. So at the end of the scene at the bullfight, where Tracy leaves in tears and Bond follows her, and that begins the uh, the sort of montage, the passage of time set to Louis Armstrong's uh, we have all the time in the world. Yeah, it's one of the best sequences in the film, I think. Yeah, I do like that scene. It's beautifully shot, and there's some lovely moments there. And it, it, it sort of shortcuts its way to building their relationship, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. And then uh, you have the scene where they're driving to the lawyer's office, and they're sort of staring at each other across the car seat with uh, Draco in between the two of them. <laughs> Seemingly... thinking, like, why, why did I offer that money? <laughs> regretting the choices yeah. he's made. <laughs> Now, this scene that follows at Gumbold's office, I only saw for the first time when I had the DVDs of this. So for the first sort of dozen times I watched this film, I never saw this scene. Because I watched it on that VHS that was recorded off the TV, and they just cut this scene out. And it's a long scene. That whole part going into the office, getting the safe cracker out of the crane... And the Playboy magazine and all that. that I'd never yeah. seen that before for the first sort of um, 10 years or so. So that was um, this weird little pocket that I've seen less than the rest of the film <laughs> for some reason. I can't believe they just cut it out. So someone thought that's not necessary. <laughs> the TV schedulers just thought, no, we're going to fit this film into this slot. <laughs> we need adverts, so something's got to go. It's insulting. <laughs> So then he goes and meets the real Sir Hilary Bray. Yes, in preparation to uh, take his place and pose as a member of the College of Arms in order to verify Blofeld's claim 
to the count or whatever. Um, Why? <laughs> it's not part of any of his plan. He just wants to become a count for for no reason. Let the man be a count, James. <laughs> if he wants to be a count, for a criminal mastermind who wants to be a count. <laughs> but this is where the film for me goes downhill a bit, and this is where it bugs me so much. After he meets the Hillary Bray, he then has the same voice as George Baker. And when he meets him, he does the same voice as him. And George Baker's like, oh, right, okay, yeah. Um, it's, it's like he's shocked by how weird it sounds. But you know he, he wouldn't have heard that on the set, right? I mean, you, you make it sound like George Baker was personally offended by his impression. <laughs> no, but that's how it comes across to me. Oh, I'm being a bit canny about that. They want me to send a description of myself. Tactfully adjusted to favour me. Yes. Yes. Why can't they just let him do his own voice? Blofeld's never met Sir Hilary Bray before. Yeah, I have to agree. I do find myself wishing there was a version that we could just hear George Lazenby's voice in. Maybe just because it's Lazenby's only film. You know, say this was a Roger Moore film, and part of one of Roger's films was dubbed by someone else, as if Roger was doing a perfect accent for someone. No, it would, it would still know. stick out like a sore thumb, yeah, wouldn't it? Yeah. I don't think it needed to be done. I know why they did it. They probably thought that it made Bond seem really skilled. But in hindsight, I think I'm not a huge fan. I think it bugs you more than it bugs me. It it really, really bugs me. Yeah, for more of James's opinions on this, just revisit the Room 101 section, uh, the games with James we did in Episode 8, and... uh, I forgot I did it for what Room 101. Oh, yeah, that it's it, it, yeah, that yeah. voice is already down there in Room 101, so you don't need to add too much okay. more fuel All to right. the fire. That's uh, and I willingly put it down there. I do agree. It's it's a bit odd. And I think part of it is to do with George Baker's delivery, his slightly over-enthusiastic dubbing of certain lines. Yeah. And speaking of the dubbing, there seems to be like a few moments throughout the film where... They've added extra lines in post-production. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. whenever someone's mouth is covered, they've just add an extra line in. <laughs> yeah, I've noticed that a lot. There's a mo- I'm trying to think of some. There's a moment um, when he says, go and get the brandy to the dog at the end. The five-star Hennessy, of course, is added in. It's when the dog passes in front of him. <laughs> Do they maybe not want to commit this product placement to the film if they weren't sure about it? Yeah. If they haven't had the contract yet? Go and get the brandy. Huh? Five-star Hennessy, of course. And there's another bit when he's um, curling with the girls out on the out on the rooftop of uh, Piz Gloria. And one of them drops a glove and he picks it up for them. And she's like, I must see you tonight. He says, like, nine o'clock or something he's already got one lined up at eight one lined up at nine or something like that and then one of the women walk in front of him and you just hear just as she covers up his face you hear the the line ten as if you know he's just gone eight nine ten you know like but he's clearly not saying it it's just (laughs) another joke that they've gone like right Whenever Lazenby's face is not seen, can we add a joke in? Can we add a joke in here? Can we add a joke in here? Maybe the word came down from the top that, you know, there wasn't enough humour in it, perhaps. I don't know. But it's a bit overzealous with that kind of extra lines being added in here and there. No, no, you're right. uh, I think there's a few dodgy cuts and edits. When the ski chase happens and you see multiple people coming out of the 
same little hut, and I feel like yeah. there was only space for one person in that hut. <laughs> um, so they've cut it like three times, so it looks like there's loads of people coming out of it. I'm sure there's a moment in the Gumball office scene where the blonde agent who's on the construction site is kind of watching the clock, and it goes from like 59 to the hour, you know, the minute hand changes. But just along the bottom of the shot, like a couple of pigeons appear, <laughs> just like <laughs> out of nowhere. It's like the editor or Peter Hunt sort of had like a really short attention span. They're like, no, keep this going. <laughs> chop, 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 chop. Um, it's an approach. It's a stylistic choice, certainly. Yeah. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it's a bit uh, a bit iffy. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, yeah, so then he goes to Piz Gloria. And this is what really annoys me um, because we established this great um relationship between bond and tracy and we've had a little, nice <laughs> montage and we've we've shown that you know oh, bonds actually could be falling in love here and then it's like oh, i'm just gonna start bed hopping with all these different women it's the 60s isn't it James? <laughs> i know no i did write in my notes um seems a bit odd that bond has that lovely romantic montage with tracy and then shags his way through every girl at his glory <laughs> <laughs> I like his little ingenious way of getting out of the room with the uh, with the stationery. Yeah. Um, so I like that moment, but there are there are a few odd moments at Piz Gloria. Although a lot of the film takes place at Piz Gloria, I do find when when we're back down at ground level, so to speak, my interest picks up again when Tracy yeah. comes back. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there's perhaps a little bit too much time spent up at the top of the mountain. Yeah. Yeah. The skiing scenes on the whole, though, are brilliant. Yeah, first time we've seen a ski sequence done in a Bond film. First of many. Yeah, yeah, and um, it sets the bar high because there's some really good stuff and it is quite tense um, when he first escapes from there and he loses a ski and then has to strangle somebody with another ski. And I, I love that skiing with one ski part. It makes my thighs hurt just watching it because he yeah, does like yeah. a ski jump and lands on one leg. Yeah, yeah. And I think, damn, he's got strong legs. <laughs> and he has that fight on the cliff edge and throws the guy off and we just we just have to watch him fall all the way yeah, down. all the way until he actually <laughs> lands as well so like is it going to cut here no nope, just, nope, just nope, not gonna... moving at all just <laughs> uh... um we haven't even talked about blowfeld yet james i think it's probably the right time merry christmas 007 so yeah this version of Blofeld is very different to the one we met in You Only Live Twice, and currently he is my favourite version. I think Telly Savalas brings his own unique spin to it, and he becomes more of uh, an equal to Bond in this mm. one, so he can do much more of the, the manual labour. You can't imagine Donald Pleasance doing any of the stuff that Telly Savalas does. You can't imagine yeah. Donald Pleasance in a bobsleigh. <laughs> he is the most charming and most physical, I think, to date. But viewing this film in isolation, as I try to for this episode, <laughs> it, it sort of feels like an alternate universe Blofeld. You know, if he was yeah. the only only one ever, he's great. Yeah. The only thing that it's sort of um, I struggle with is trying to imagine him in the other films. But that's not a fault of him in this film. He plays it brilliantly and, like I say, charming and um, smart and outsmarting Bond pretty much over and over again. Yeah, except when he puts him in an easily escapable room. Which... Oh, yeah. It's not the first time he's done that, or the last, I'm sure, but nope. put Bond in a room with a big hole in the wall. 
But uh, he also holds a cigarette really weird. I don't know yeah. if I noticed this. I, I see like, that every time. It's like, what? He holds it like he's just picked it up off the floor and found it. And it's like, is this anyone's? <laughs> we won't delve back into the uh, Blofeld mythos necessarily too yeah. much. If you want to hear my thoughts, go back and listen to You Only Live Twice. But suffice yeah. it to say, I still kind of, in the back of my mind, picture this Blofeld as being a slightly different man to to other ones that we've yes. seen in the Blofeld codename theory episode. <laughs> it helps me to sort of not judge any one particular interpretation too harshly, and so that's why I don't want to criticise Telly Savalas for not fitting into the style of a different film that went before yeah. him. Sorry about the accommodation, Contessa. We should have rung ahead and booked. So Bond meets Tracy, then they escape in her car, and then it gets too snowy, and then they hold up for the night in a barn. This is where Bond proposes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think this is Lazenby is strongest in those more sensitive moments. Mm. Having said that, he's one of the best physical Bonds as well. Yeah. I think he throws a punch with the best of them. Yeah. I think you know, maybe where his performance lacks is the kind of confident swagger yeah, of Connery. That's, that's where I think those scenes that you mentioned before, Connery probably would have done them yeah. in a much better way. However, Connery probably wouldn't have been able to achieve the, the more emotional scenes. That we yeah, see. I just wouldn't have believed that he, Connery cared that much about anyone else. When Tracy actually turns up at the ice rink, it's like Bond is relieved, but I think we are sort of relieved that we see it. I know what you mean. I really warmed Tracy on my most recent viewing. I mean, I always did, but I think she may well be at the very top of my all-time favourites. She's always good when she's on screen. Yeah. The toast is the bride and bridegroom, Mr. and Mrs. James Bond. Bond and Tracy get married. Yeah, uh, and there's a great shot where all of the men that Bond had previously <laughs> beaten up are just there, reluctantly <laughs> clapping along. Yeah, yeah, I quite like that shot. Yeah, a nice moment with Money Penny as well, where he um, tosses the hat to her. There's a there's a lovely moment earlier actually with Money Penny. One of my favourite moments, uh, maybe my favourite Money Penny moment of all time. Oh really? When she saves Bond and M ah. from each other. Yeah, yeah, by yeah. delivering a different note to M, requesting two weeks leave instead of his resigning. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, when Bond says, you know, what would I do without you? And then M buzzes in and does it, yeah, says the same yeah. thing. That's my favourite Money Penny moment, I think. <laughs> it's just a lovely moment. So, yeah, then uh, the wedding happens. And yeah. I don't know what audiences felt at the time. Did they think, this is odd, Bond, Bond's getting married? Or did they think, this, something's going to happen? I, I, I almost feel like in those days, everyone knew how the films ended and began, because usually it's spoiled in the trailers. Or I was going to say, usually the film trailers gave away everything in those days, didn't yeah. they? A weird tradition that <laughs> always sort of seems odd to me, but they would show pretty much the whole film. So. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if there was a clip of her with a bullet in her face <laughs> in the trailer. Yeah. But I find that that moment, uh, it's obviously a tragic moment for Bond and a defining moment for him. And it's 
a really bleak way to end the film. Yeah. But I find as I've got older, it upsets me more and more. Like when I was young, I was like, oh, well, Bond's got married, but it's not going to yeah. last because he's yeah, Bond. Yeah. And he, oh, she did. She needed to die because she needs another Bond girl in the yeah. next one. <laughs> but as I got older, I think I project more like myself into the film and maybe my empathy has grown. Yeah. But that's heartbreaking now. Like I find it genuinely really sad. I, I agree. And I think it's also ruined as well as it's the James Bond thing that ruins it. It just ends on the, the gunshot of a hole on the uh, on the car, and you think, oh my god! And it's like, da-na, 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 da-na. I'd never really thought of it like that because for me, I think the film kind of ends, and then the titles. I don't, I don't sort of let the end credit music spoil the film, and the music up until that moment is beautiful and perfect, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a great version of the Bond theme. Don't get me wrong; it's a new version of it rather than the. Bumming Doctor No thing that I keep hearing. I just feel it, it just took me out of it. It's like, oh yeah, it, she's dead. Oh. Da-da-da-da. I was like, mm. I think if it was any more downbeat, though, I think I might end in tears every time. <laughs> I think, um, you know, as much as the Bond series from Connery to Brosnan is one continuous continuity with yeah. some allowances made for discrepancies in time to allow yeah. them to, to fit in that yeah, yeah that space i still think if you could view them like out of sequence and you can kind of bunch several together to make kind of trilogies and yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. little so i would suggest to anyone not familiar with bond or wanting to sort of just pick a couple to watch that if you start with this one and then you follow up with For Your Eyes Only, and then you follow it up with License to Kill. Mm, yeah, okay. And then if you really wanted to, you could add The World Is Not Enough to the end there. Right. I think those four in a row would work nicely. Yeah, yeah I've never thought of it like that. I've always felt like For Your Eyes Only feels like a direct sequel to this film. Yeah. You know, it, it picks up at the grave... Blofeld seems to be in exactly the same condition that he was in at the end of this with the neck brace. Yeah. And then License to Kill carries on some of the themes of loss. There's a reference to being married and all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And World is Not Enough uh, has a reference to his family motto as well. So. Yeah, family motto, yeah. I just think that would be a nice sort of foursome to, yeah, no, it's good. to, to group like together. Idea. I wonder if yeah. we could think of any others that would that would go well together. Yeah. Anyway, that's a maybe a conversation for a different episode, James, because yeah, I, I think we should yeah, probably wrap it up. Enough, so, yeah. in conclusion, how do you feel about this film? Um, last, the last time I watched it, I was like, I really didn't enjoy it. Before re-watching it, I wasn't actually in the mood. I was like, you know what, I'm going to have to re-watch this anyway. I actually enjoyed it more than I thought, but I still stand by my opinion that although everyone says this is the best Bond film, do they? Because I think it's if you Google on a Manchester Secret Service, people will go, "This has now been reevaluated as one of the best Bonds." I yeah. don't think it is. Uh, I think there's some great sequences that have been let down in some way that really bugs me. We've got a love story that's really well put together that's ruined by a middle sequence that just destroys it for me i just feel there's great moments in this film and i still think it's a great film i just don't think it's the best of the bonds fair enough i feel like um there's a charm and a sophistication 
I mean, there are jarring, iffy moments of editing and such, but I feel like it's a really solid film. And, I mean, I can't help but compare it to Diamonds Are Forever, which we'll talk about in episode 15. But it's night and day for me in terms of comparing the two. This one feels timeless, and I guess it does feel like it kind of exists in a alternate universe in which this is the only Bond film ever made. I feel hmm. like your best bet is to go into this with no preconceptions, no favoritism towards Connery, because that's going to do you no favours if you go into this one like that. But... Yeah. What it lacked in star power, I think it makes up with with just a kind of uh, good intentions. I feel like it has really good intentions to do everything it's doing as best as it can. It's does, it does not feel lazy to me in any way, where some films do. You look at Diamonds Are Forever or Man With The Golden Gun, or some of them, they feel a little lazy, like they're resting on their formula a little bit. And this one doesn't feel like that. It feels like they they realized they had an uphill climb and they put some effort into it and they had an unproven lead so they surrounded him with really strong just not my microphone there they surrounded him with really strong actors um to play against and play alongside one of the best supporting cast like is, villains think, yeah. allies bond women they're all the best you could get to support this relatively uh inexperienced lead actor who does his absolute best for the most part. A few moments where he comes off a little too smug or the the wrong kind of confidence, the kind of boyish smugness rather than a mature assuredness. Yeah. But I do feel like even though I believe it exists in the same timeline as the rest, that it's somehow, in terms of judging it from a critical perspective, I sort of put it slightly separate from the other films. Yeah, it always feels separate. You know how you and I have talked about in the past how we don't tend to compare Bond films to every other film ever made. Mm. We have like probably our favourite movies and then Bond films are separate. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But even within that, I feel like this is separate from Bond films. (laughs) Yeah, you couldn't compare The Spy Who Loved Me to Honor Majesty's Secret Service. No, and if you said like, you know, I'm in the mood for a Bond film, I'm probably not in the mood for this. Yeah, yeah. Unless I'm in the mood for this particular Bond film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in which case, it's very rare that it's going to be a choice between this and one other Bond film. If I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah. I'm in the mood for a Bond film, but I don't know which, it's unlikely it's going to be this one because it's more likely that it's going to be, I'm in the mood for this. Yeah. yeah Nothing yeah. else, this. Yeah. And there was a time where I watched it every Christmas you know, I tried to make it a tradition because I heard of other people going, oh, I watch Jingle All The Way every year or I watch Elf or Die Hard. And I was like, no, I'm going to watch Honor Majesty's Secret Service every Christmas. And I did it for about three years and thought, I, there's going to be a year eventually where I stop doing this. So I might as well yeah. be this year. So I didn't want to force myself to watch it when I wasn't in the mood to just because it was yeah. Christmas Eve or something. Yeah. And I think the fact that even within the Bond universe, I sort of separate it from the others, means that it can be difficult for me to place it amongst the rest if I'm trying to rank them. And so that's maybe one of the reasons why it often has ended up on the top. Yeah. Because it's sort of left over at the end and just being like, well, where do I put it? I'll put it there because I love it. Yeah. It's not perfect, but I really appreciate the efforts that it goes to to be as good as it could be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
All right, that was our discussion on Honor Majesty's Secret Service. Let's play Games with James. Games with James. James, buckle up. Oh, God. How are you going to embarrass me this time? <laughs> are you familiar with a quiz show called Only Connect? No, I can't say I am. It's quite highbrow, um, high-concept kind of quiz show. It's hosted by Victoria Corrin Mitchell. Oh, yeah. I'm not a huge fan of the show itself. Rather than having categories like A, B, C, and D, they have, like, hieroglyphs and such. It's a little snobby for my taste. Okay. It's, it's, it's no The Chase, then? No, it's not. It's the anti-chase. Oh, that's, that's rubbish. there's some good concepts for round types in that show. So, as the name might imply, although it's a bit abstract, it's about making connections. Okay. So, your objective is to tell me what the fourth in a sequence would be based on the first, second, third, and then tell me what the connection between those things are, okay? So, for instance, if I told you, um, you know, if I gave you clue number one, I'd say Sean Connery. Right. And you'd say, no, I'm not going to get it from that. Give me the next clue. And I would say George Lazenby. Okay. And you might say, okay, so the third one's going to be Roger Moore. So the fourth one would be Timothy Dalton. Okay. Your objective would be to tell me the fourth one in a sequence. Okay. If you get it based on the first clue alone, what the fourth one would be, you'd get four points. Okay. If you ask for the second clue, you'd get three points. If you need three clues to guess the fourth one, you'd get two points if you get it right, and you get an extra point if you can tell me what the connection is. So even if even if you don't get the answer and I explain the answer, you can get a point if you tell me why that's the answer. Okay. So that makes sense. I think we're going to need some sound effects from you, James. Oh God. Are you are you grabbing a pencil? Yeah, probably one, two, three, four, so I can write down what each one is. You are taking this seriously, aren't yeah. you? And so you should. In the last episode, I described the games with James, which was the Bond Girls First Lines quiz. I thought that was the easiest quiz I had come up with to date. <laughs> and you scored four out of 12, I think. Um, yeah, it was hard. I know this is difficult. Okay, that's not, that's not a good sign. So, can I have a sound for when you, if you get one of these right... Oh my god, you got it right, James! <laughs> Look forward to never hearing that in this game. <laughs> okay, and can I hear, have a sound effect for when you get a question wrong? Oh, that's just typical. <laughs> Perfect. So what I'll do is, for each of these clues, I will allow you to answer one guess before I reveal the next clue. Okay. Okay? Yep. So here is question number one. The first item in the sequence... Lee. Uh, we have to go for the second one. For three points, the second item is brown. Okay. Um, so I'm going to guess and go with um, go with fines. Oh my god, you got it right, James. Fines is correct, James. Yeah. Well done. And can you tell me why that is the connection? Um, because they're all characters that uh, actors who played um Anne. They are actors who played M. That was a nice, easy one to get you Whew. used to the uh, idea of it. You are off the mark. Well done. Whew. Question two. Craig Harris. Okay. Craig Harris. 
Right, okay. Um, yeah, go for the next one. Brosnan Bond. Okay, I can guess this. I didn't... So you're going backwards, right? Okay, so I didn't realise that. Okay. I could have guessed it from the first one in that case, then, couldn't I? So I'm going to go with uh, more Maxwell. Oh, my God, you got it right, James! More Maxwell is correct. Yeah. The full sequence was Craig Harris, Brosnan Bond... Dalton Bliss and more Maxwell. And what is the connection? Um, each James Bond actor with their respective money penny. It is Bond actors and their money pennies. I uh, I actually took that one from an episode of Only Connects that I saw oh, on TV. Right. Um, okay, number three. You're doing surprisingly well at this, James. Oh, that's good. This is actually easier than the uh, the Bond girl first <laughs> one. Okay, here's your first entry. You only live twice. Well, I might as well guess it, mightn't I? So I'm going to say, From Wish You Would Love. That is not correct. I'll give you the next clue. Okay, okay. The Spy Who Loved Me. Okay, next one. Okay, for two points, your next clue is The Living Daylights. Uh, hang on, hang on. Hmm. Hang on just one, one, one second. How much time do they normally have to think in the show? Like, no time at all on the show. Oh, my like, God, like really? Like, 30 seconds for the whole sequence. It's impossible. But oh, okay. I'll cut this down to make it seem okay, like okay. you're really good. <laughs> <laughs> Going to have to push you for an answer, James? I think I've nearly got it. I think I've nearly got it. Have you got a calculator out? No, no, no. I think it's my fingers. <laughs> what are you doing? Well, obviously, I'm not doing the right thing, then, am I? I'm very intrigued as to what you're doing here. Dine of the day. Why would it be dine of the day? Because you've taken, from You Only Live Twice, it takes you five films to get to The Spiral of Me, and it takes you another five films to get to Live in Daylight, so another five films will take you to dine of the day. Well, does it really? That's not correct, James. Oh, okay. But maybe it's the right answer to a different question. <laughs> okay, right. Now, you can still get a point, James, if you can tell me why this is the next one in the sequence. Okay. The fourth item, following You Only Live Twice, The Spy Who Loved Me, The Living Daylights, the fourth one is Tomorrow Never Dies. What is the connection that links them? I'm going to have to take a pass on this one. I have no idea. Oh, that's just typical. Never mind, James. They are Bond films released in years ending in seven. Ah, oh, that would not have got on 1967, yep. 1977, 1987, and 1997. Yeah. Okay. Next one. Campbell Mendes. Okay, hang on. What are you doing? <laughs> you look like you're doing homework. I'll go for the next one. Go for the next one. The next clue is Young Gilbert. What? Go for the next one. Okay, so you've got Campbell Mendes, then Young, Young Gilbert. Gilbert. Next up in the sequence is... Hamilton. What? So what are we talking about here, James? Well, we're talking about directors. Okay. So what's the next one in the sequence? But why is there only one in th three? Care to take a guess? Uh, I'm just going to say Glenn. Oh my God, you got it right, James! It is Glenn. Oh my God. <laughs> Campbell Mendes, Young, Gilbert, Hamilton, Glenn. Now what? Well, I have no idea what the pattern is other than the fact that these are directors, but I don't know why they'd be in that order. The sequence 
is director's surnames by number of films. Two, three, four, then ah, five. Right, okay, got you. Martin Campbell and Sam Mendes have both done two. Terence Young and Lewis Gilbert have done three. Guy Hamilton directed four. And John Glenn directed five. Yeah, well, at least you got the answer right. Okay, next question. Yep. First entry in the sequence is... Isabella Sedu. Just write that down. Okay, go for the next one. Michelle Marlowe. This is where it gets tricky because I can I know who they are. I just don't know what the pattern would be. Go for the third. Okay, for two points, you've had Isabella Sedu, Michelle Marlowe. The next in the sequence is Denise Kurilenko. Uh, I, I don't know the fourth. I'm afraid. What can you see there, James? So you, you got uh, the, the names of Bond actresses. One from Goldeneye and one from Spectre. One from Tomorrow Never Dies and one from Skyfall and that one. Oh, hang on. Ah, okay. So is it? could it be um, Barry um, Green? Are you sure about that? Yeah, 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 I'm sure. Oh, that's just typical. Oh, you're so close, James. What? It's not using the surnames of the first ones, is it? Oh, damn it. <laughs> the correct answer in the sequence was Hallie Green. Oh, God's sake. Yeah, God's sake. Bond girls of Pierce Brosnan's Bond, first names yeah. ascending. Oh, my God. Bond girls of Daniel Craig's Bond, surnames descending. So, God. as you rightly identified, you've got Isabella... Seydoux is yeah. Isabella Skorupko from Goldeneye and Leia Seydoux. So, first name, surname. Of... Do, we, do we get a point for the pattern? Uh, yeah, I'm going to give you some points for that. That seems okay. like you almost got it. Um, okay, cool. Michelle Yeoh, Tomorrow Never Dies, uh, Berenice Marlowe from Skyfall, Denise Richards from Noella's Not Enough, and Olga Kurilenko. Halle Berry and Eva Green is the answer. Are these the sort of questions that you get on the show? Wait, these like, are easier than the ones you get in the, in the show. These are, these are easy? Yeah. Flipping <laughs> Okay, this is a tricky one, so let's just dive straight into it, okay? Okay. Two, two, 62. What? That's right. two, comma, two, and then in brackets, 62. Um, I think I know it. I want to use my fingers again. <laughs> is it... 11.65. Oh my god, you got it right, James! It is 11.65, Come on, James. Yeah. What is the connection? So it's um, it's number of um, letters in each title of the film with the year it was released in. So 2.262 is... It was Doctor No in 62. Doctor No 62. Yeah. So then you would have had 4.644.63. Yeah, yeah. 10.64... For, uh, from Russia with Love and Goldfinger, respectively, and then 11.65 for Thunderball 65. Very impressive, James. This is, ah. oddly, This I found what your strong point is after all these episodes, clearly. <laughs> it's just not Bond girl first words. Your best subject is difficult quizzes, apparently. <laughs> all right, here we go. Next question. The first entry in this sequence, we're looking for the fourth, but the first one is Sonnery. Sonnery? Sonnery. S-O-N-N-E-R-Y. So is it Tolton for four? 
Oh my god, you got it right, James! It is Tolton! <laughs> yes! Come yeah, on. Sonnery, what's the connection for another point? It's the first letter of every Bond actor replacing the first letter of their surname. It is. Bond actor's first initial and surname minus the first letter. So, Sonnery, Gazenby, Raw, and Tolton. <laughs> if we carried on, it would have been Prosnan and Drake. Drake. <laughs> Well done, James. Nice. How many got left? Three left. Okay. Three left, right. Okay. Okay. Here's the first in the sequence. What is the fourth? Waltz Carlisle. Okay. Um, we go for the next one. Carlisle Davy. Go for the next one. Davy Lonsdale. Okay. What's the fourth in the sequence following... Waltz Carlisle, Carlisle Davy, Davy Lonsdale. I'm just going to say Lonsdale Savalas. Oh my god, you got it right, James! It is Lonsdale Savalas, James. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> wow, is that a complete guess? Well, I figured you chose the villain from the third. I oh, know that's not the third. I don't know why I thought it, to be honest. Well, I mean, you got to the right answer. It was actually Bond villain actors' surnames from the final film of each decade in reverse. Oh, okay. Followed by the next film in the chain. So Christoph Waltz was the last villain of the 2010s. Robert Carlyle, obviously the last villain of the 90s. 90s, Robert Davy, the last villain of the 80s. Well, I got it right, so who cares? Well done. The uh, penultimate question now, first in the sequence, is nobody does it better. Okay. Next one. The second in that sequence is all-time high. Okay, I think I can get this. So it must be another way to die, fourth. Oh my god, you got it right, James! Well done, James. Yeah. (laughs) And what is the connection? So these are all uh, Bond themes uh, that don't actually use the title for the name it of the theme. Bond song titles that don't feature the title of the film. Nobody does it better. All time high. What would a third have been? Uh, you Know My Name. You Know My Name from Casino Royale. And, and Another Way to Die from Quantum of Solace. And of course, the writings on the wall would have been the next in the sequence yes, had it, it continued. Been, yes. And your final one in this quiz, first in the sequence is The Man. Okay, next one. The second in that sequence is The Spy. I'm going to take a guess, I think, here. The World. Oh my god, you got it right, James! The fourth one is The World, James. (laughs) It would have gone The the Man, The Spy, what would the next one? The Living, correct, and The World. world. What is the connection? It's all Bond film titles that have start with The. It is. It's the first two words of Bond films beginning with The. Well, that is maybe your best score yet, James. I can't can't even work it out. James scored an impressive 32 out of a possible 50 points. Well done, James. You just peaked. I honestly thought you'd struggle a lot more with that than you did. Yeah, it's it's, it's hard. It helped writing them down. Yeah, what the listeners don't know is that uh, I will have undoubtedly cut quite a lot of dead air time out of this while James furiously... We're talking about there's nothing there. <laughs> you it's, were writing, um... you were counting on your fingers at one point. I thought you had a calculator out at one point. <laughs> uh, and you certainly made a lot of notes. Can I, can I? Can you hold them up to the camera there? Yeah, I mean, 
these are not my notes. Wow, you went onto two pages. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there we have it. Did you enjoy that, James? Yeah, that was fun. Um, it made you think. Yeah, I'm very impressed. So uh, oh, thanks. You should be proud. That wraps up Games with James. Games with James. And there we have it, James. That was our episode on Honor Majesty's Secret Service. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, it'll be interesting going back from Honor Majesty's Secret Service to Downers Off Forever next. Yes, so on our next film episode, which will be the uh, episode 15, will be Diamonds Are Forever, which I'm interested to look back at because it's far from perfect, but I think we'll have some things to say. Yeah. So until then, uh, we'd love to hear from you if you've been enjoying these episodes, so you can get in touch on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at BonJamCast. If you've been watching it on YouTube, uh, thanks. Give us a like and comment. And if you have been listening to YouTube, there is an audio version available at Google Podcasts, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and... Uh, soundcloud as well if you just want to go straight to the source soundcloud.com slash bond jam do please leave a review or rating on your platform of choice it helps uh get the product seen by lots of people product <laughs> it's not a product <laughs> it's a bloody podcast james give us your suggestions for things to talk about if you've got questions fire them over we'd love to hear from you you can email us as well at bonjamcast at gmail.com subscribe on all of those platforms if you're well not on all of them you'd have to subscribe on all of subscribe on your chosen platform to stay up to date as to when our next episode arrives and do keep checking youtube for all our bonus content as well james might eventually get around to editing a tier list i gave to him sometime last year yeah it'll it'll happen one day sure soon sure (laughs) it'll do sure that will happen about as soon as i probably get around to editing part two of our everything or nothing playthrough (laughs) (laughs) tell you what i will edit part two of our everything or nothing playthrough when we receive a hundred likes on part one (laughs) uh may have backed myself into a corner then anyway thank you for listening and until next time james don't forget to spread that jam spread that jam everybody and take care cheerio bye (laughs) 